Our scripture text for today comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 34. Let us listen now to God's word for us. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. I can think of a lot of places that I would go to find some rest. If I were going to unplug, if I were looking for some rest, I'd go to a cottage in the middle of nowhere. I'd leave my computer behind, I'd turn my cell phone off, and I wouldn't tell anybody I was going. Or if I were looking for rest or somewhere to unplug, I'd go to a retreat center or a monastery, right, where your schedule is laid out for you, where you don't cook any meals for yourself, where you're basically told all you're here to do is rest. If I wanted to unplug and find some rest, I'd go get lost in a park for a few hours and get lost in the scenery, or I'd go check myself into a really nice hotel and just veg out, watch TV, paint, read. Brian, I'm sure, is already laughing at me because when I try to unplug for more than 10 minutes, I get bored and in need of a project, but that's beside the point. (laughs) I can think of a lot of places I would go to rest. The desert is not one of them. So isn't it interesting that when Jesus looks at his exhausted group of disciples, he suggests going to the desert as a place to get away and rest. Now, if you were listening closely, you might be saying, no, no, the text didn't say the desert. It said a deserted place. But if you look At the Greek, this word is always translated desert, always translated desert, except here. This is the one place it gets translated to deserted place or a place of solitude. You can imagine even the translators of this text didn't know what to do with the fact that Jesus took his disciples to the desert to find rest. Desert. This desert trip is not going to be luxurious. It will not be a day at the spa. This will not be a day with clean water and food readily available. This will not be a day of a cool, air-conditioned hotel room. No, no, the desert's hot. The desert is that place you go where sand ends up in every nook and cranny of your clothing. The desert's uninhabited. The desert is filled with wild animals and bandits. Really, Jesus? This is your idea of a pat on the back of a job well done, of a, you deserve a break. A trip to find quiet and solitude in the desert. Even worse, when we look back at what has already happened in Mark, Jesus and the disciples were just rejected in Nazareth which Jesus decided was an opportune time to send the 12 disciples out as missionaries with nothing. 
Mark tells us to go out with nothing, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Right after the disciples have started their missionary journey, they get stopped. They have to come back to bury a good friend of theirs, John the Baptist. As if the regular mourning isn't enough, John the Baptist was killed for the same message that the disciples are now preaching. And after all of this, with all of this going on, there's still people pushing in on Jesus and pushing in on the disciples to the point that they can't even take a lunch break. It's too much. So Jesus calls his disciples to the desert to find rest in the desert. God has a nasty habit of doing this to people. God does this to Abraham. He calls Abraham to follow him and promises him all these amazing blessings. And then he opens up door number one, 40 years in the desert. He does it again with the Israelites, who he leads out of slavery, out of Egypt, and into the promised land. And then again, God shows them what's behind door number one, 40 years in the desert. God has this nasty habit of taking those who have been kicked around and beaten down and sending them to the desert. So why does God insist on sending us to the desert? When I went back to the Exodus story, I noticed a little refrain. When God would send Moses to Pharaoh, he sent them with instructions to say, Let my people go so that they can worship me. That second clause, we don't teach much. Let my people go so that they can worship me. The Exodus is liberation from slavery for the worship of God. God knows what Israel needs is to do what they were made to do, to worship God. God wants us to worship him because it's what we were made to do. Because when we live in the presence of God, we find that we're loved more than we could have imagined. We're washed completely of our sins. We are defined by God's hope for our future and not by our failures of the past. God invites them to worship so he can quench their thirst with the water of life. He wants them to be filled with the Spirit. He wants to show them the joy of living life with him. So Jesus does what God has always done. He invites his tired and defeated disciples into the desert where they can get space from the crowd and get away from the authorities that are threatening them, from the challenges of their call to proclaim the gospel, to get away into the emptiness of the desert because God is in the desert and there isn't much else. Jesus leads them into the desert and all they bring with them is their constant hounding of their fear, the heaviness of their grief. They bring into their desert their broken and battered selves so that they're no longer distracted by the world, but so that they can see God. And God will give them rest. As they sing psalms and read scriptures and pray, they will find God again. They will see God's face. They will feel his love 
not that it ever left. The world became too much. They were distracted. So Jesus takes his disciples to the desert to worship. Because the rest they were looking for, rest for the soul, rest for the spirit, rest for the heart, is found in worship. There's a story about a famous violinist. When he was young, just two years old, his parents forced him to play. Hours, increasing hours as he got older, the expectations were constant. There were concerts and recitals and practices and concerts and recitals and practices and went on and on. And he grew to resent the violin and he grew to hate his parents for forcing him to play. So when he was old enough, he went to court and emancipated himself. He quit the violin and swore that he'd never look back. He tried. He tried not to pick the violin up again. For years, he tried not to. The violin was stitched into the fabric of who he was. Living without it was like living with a hole in his chest. So one day, he picked it back up, and as he played it, he found rest. The violin had been stitched into the fabric of who he was, and so when he played it, he found rest. God is stitched into who we are. Worshiping God is stitched into who we are. So when we worship God, we find rest. Now, just as we're ready to tie a bow on this text and get out of here in record time, the crowd shows up. Isn't that how it always happens? You're in the middle of grief. You're in the middle of something horrible that happens, and then somebody shows up at the door. You're in the middle of a conversation with somebody, and the conversation's about to take a turn for the better, and then somebody makes a phone call. Crowd arrives before Jesus and his disciples could even get to the desert. And Jesus forgets all about his tired disciples and he focuses on the crowd instead. The crowd had seen Jesus and his disciples leaving on their boat, and so the crowd ran on foot. They ran on foot into the desert to see Jesus. So much for the rest of worship, right back to the grind. Well, why doesn't Jesus change course? There's plenty of desert. The crowd has this corner over here, but Jesus and his disciples can go to that one over there. They'll sing songs and they'll play hymns and they'll open the word and they'll find rest. But Jesus had compassion on the crowd and he begins to teach them. The disciples probably grumble, I would grumble. The crowd is so demanding. They won't let up. The crowd is so needy. They don't seem to care about the disciples or the fact that they're in mourning. They don't even seem to notice. But Jesus still has compassion on the crowd. He turns from his disciples and he begins to teach the crowd. Spoiler alert, Jesus does actually know what he's doing. He turns to the crowd and begins to teach them. Not because he forgot the disciples, not because he thinks that rest isn't important, but there's two main reasons why Jesus turns to teach the crowd. First, a reminder. We will never see God better by ignoring the needs of those around us. Second, and look at this. 
The crowd was the exact reminder that the disciples needed. The disciples felt overwhelmed. They felt scared. They felt defeated. They needed to see that this crowd of people believed that Jesus was enough, so much so that they ran on foot into the desert to see Jesus. Hear that again. The crowd ran into the desert to see Jesus. The desert devoid of shelter from the sun, the desert without protection from wild animals, the desert without food, the desert without water. They wanted Jesus so badly, believed in him so much that they ran into the desert. The disciples needed to see that. But more than anything, they needed to see what God could do with this crowd. Jesus led the disciples to the desert to find God. When the world is too much, we go to the desert to find God. Maybe that's all you need to hear this morning. Maybe all you need to hear this morning is that you can run to the desert and find God and find rest. Because it's not the absence of distractions that allows rest. It's the absence of distractions that lets us see who is there with us. And the one there with us is our shepherd. It is our God. That's the connection to the Exodus here. This crowd that follows Jesus to the desert is like Israel. They have run from the world, running after God, following God even into the desert. You see, the disciples, they've seen what Jesus can do. And they follow him into the desert. But the crowd, the crowd follows Jesus based only on what they've heard about Jesus. They follow him based only on what they've heard about Jesus. Which is why I think Mark likens the crowd to sheep. I think they're like sheep for two reasons. First, sheep rely heavily on a sense of hearing. When it comes to sight, sheep struggle. So they have a narrow vision, so they really depend on their sense of hearing. They bend their ear to the voice of whoever's speaking. Every time in the Bible we hear about sheep, it's them understanding the voice of their shepherd. And secondly, the crowd is like sheep because sheep really do one thing. They follow the leader. When one sheep moves, the rest will follow, even if it's not a good idea. In 2006, in eastern Turkey, 400 sheep plunged to their death. Why? One sheep decided to try and cross a 45-foot deep ravine. 399 followed. As each sheep followed, each sheep fell to his death. So the question is still, why did the crowd follow Jesus? Why did they follow this leader? At that time, it wasn't uncommon for people to declare themselves the Messiah, to go out into the desert and begin a revolution against Rome. Crowds would flock to them around this fake Messiah, go out into the desert, and then the Romans would come in and kill the entire crowd like sheep to the slaughter. 
So when Jesus goes out into the desert, this Messiah, and a crowd follows him, don't you get worried? Here come the Romans. Another case of the crowd being killed by the Romans. But Jesus knows what the crowd is hoping for. He knows they're itching for a fight against Rome. He knows they think that this is the revolution. Jesus has compassion on them because they are filled with hope for the wrong thing. Hope of a revolution, hope for a war hero. The crowd thinks Jesus is a different kind of Messiah, and luckily for them, he is. He's not the kind they thought he was go into the desert looking for a fight. And just a few verses after this text, Jesus feeds 5,000. They go into the desert looking for a revolution, and they find rolls of bread. They go into the desert looking for a war hero, and they find a shepherd. The disciples at this moment are confronted by the full follow-the-leader mentality of the crowd. The crowd has marched into the desert again, following this Messiah again, and we can expect nothing short of another slaughter. And instead, we have a miracle of God's sufficiency, not just sufficiency of God's excessive abundance. Instead of finding another slaughter, we find a feeding of 5,000. Through this, the disciples can see that God is enough. And in that assurance, they can rest. I hope you can see that God is enough. And in that assurance, find rest. And the crowd can see that they never needed a war hero. They needed a shepherd. On a good day, we're the disciples, following the Messiah that we know and love, running after him into the desert, resting in worship. But frankly, all too often, we're like sheep, blind and following the leader. But you know, being a sheep, it isn't so bad, as long as we have a shepherd.